Part five, Justin. Sometimes I think my head is so big because it is so full of dreams. John Merrick in Bernard Pomerantz's The Elephant Man. Chapter 74, Olivia's brother. The first time I meet Olivia's brother, I have to admit I'm totally taken by surprise. I shouldn't be, of course. Olivia told me about his syndrome, has even described what he looks like, but she's also talked about all his surgeries he had over the years, so I guess I assumed he'd be more normal looking by now. Like when a kid is born with a cleft lip and has plastic surgery to fix it, sometimes you can't even tell except for the little scar above the lip. I guess I thought her brother would have some scars here and there, but not this. I definitely wasn't expecting to see this little kid in a baseball cap who's sitting in front of me right now. Actually, there are two kids sitting in front of me. One is a totally normal-looking kid with curly blonde hair named Jack. The other is Augie. I like to think I'm able to hide my surprise. I hope I do. Surprise is one of those emotions that can be hard to fake, though. Whether you're trying to look surprised when you're not or trying not to look surprised when you are. I shake his hand. I shake the other kid's hand. Don't want to focus on his face. Cool room, I say. Are you Via's boyfriend? He says. I think he's smiling. Olivia pushes down his baseball cap. Is that a machine gun? The blonde kid asks, like I haven't heard that one before. And we talk about Zydeco for a bit. And then Via's taking my hand and leading me out of the room. As soon as we close the door behind us, we hear them laughing. I'm from Brooklyn, one of them sings. Olivia rolls her eyes as she smiles. Let's go hang out in my room, she says. We've been dating for two months now. I knew from the moment I saw her, the minute she sat down at our table in the cafeteria, that I liked her. I couldn't keep my eyes off of her. Really beautiful. With olive skin and the bluest eyes I've ever seen in my life. At first, she acted like she only wanted to be friends. I think she kind of gives off that vibe without meaning to. Stay back. Don't even bother. She doesn't flirt like some other girls do. She looks you right in the eye when she talks to you, like she's daring you. So I kept looking at her right in the eye, too, like I was daring her back. And then I asked her out, and she said yes, which rocked. She's an awesome girl, and I love hanging out with her. She didn't tell me about August until our third date. I think she used the phrase a craniofacial abnormality to describe his face. Or maybe it was craniofacial anomaly. I know the one word she didn't use was deformed, though, because that word would have registered with me. So what did you think? She asked me nervously the second we were inside her room. Are you shocked? No, I lie.
She smiles and looks away. You're shocked. I'm not, I assure her. He's just like what you said he'd be. She nods and plops down on her bed. Kind of cute how she still has a lot of stuffed animals on her bed. She takes one of them, a polar bear, without thinking, and puts it on her lap. I sit down on the rolling chair by her desk. Her room is immaculate. When I was little, she says, there were lots of kids who never came back for a second play date. I mean, lots of kids. I even had friends who wouldn't come to my birthdays because he would be there. They never actually told me this, but it would get back to me. Some people just don't know how to deal with Augie, you know? I nod. It's not even like they know they're being mean, she adds. They were just scared. I mean, let's face it, his face is a little scary, right? I guess, I answer. But you're okay with it? She asks me sweetly. You're not too freaked out or scared? I'm not freaked out or scared. I smile. She nods and looks down at the polar bear on her lap. I can't tell whether she believes me or not, but then she gives the little polar bear a kiss on the nose and tosses it to me with a little smile. I think that means she believes me, or at least she wants to. Chapter 75, Valentine's Day. I give Olivia a heart necklace for Valentine's Day, and she gives me a messenger bag she's made out of old floppy disks. Very cool how she makes things like that. Earrings out of pieces of circuit boards. Dresses out of t-shirts. Bags out of old jeans. She's so creative. I tell her she should be an artist someday, but she wants to be a scientist. A geneticist, of all things. She wants to find cures for people like her brother, I guess. We make plans for me to finally meet her parents, a Mexican restaurant on Amesfort Avenue near her house on Saturday night. All day long, I'm nervous about it. And when I get nervous, my tics come out. I mean, my tics are always there, but they're not like they used to be when I was little. Nothing but a few hard blinks now the occasional head pull, but when I'm stressed, they get worse, and I'm definitely stressing about meeting her folks. They're waiting inside when I get to the restaurant. The dad gets up and shakes my hand, and the mom gives me a hug. I hug, I give Augie a hello fist punch and kiss Olivia on the cheek before I sit down. It's so nice to meet you, Justin. We've heard so much about you. Her parents couldn't be nicer. Put me at ease right away. The waiter brings over the menus, and I notice his expression the moment he lays eyes on August. But I pretend not to notice. I guess we're all pretending not to notice things tonight. The waiter, my tics, the way August crushes the tortilla chips on the table and spoons the crumbs into his mouth. 
I look at Olivia and she smiles at me. She knows. She sees the waiter's face. She sees my tics. Olivia is a girl who sees everything. We spend the entire dinner talking and laughing. Olivia's parents ask me about my music and how I got into the fiddle and stuff like that. And I tell them about how I used to play classical violin, but I got into Appalachian folk music and then Zydeco. And they're listening to every word like they're really interested. They tell me to let them know the next time my band's playing a gig so they can come and listen. I'm not used to all the tension to be truthful. My parents don't have a clue about what I want to do with my life. They never ask. We never talk like this. I don't think they even know I traded my Baroque violin for an eight-string hardhanger fiddle two years ago. After dinner, we go back to Olivia's for some ice cream. Their dog greets us at the door. An old dog, super sweet. She'd thrown up all over the hallway, though. Olivia's mom rushes to get paper towels while the dad picks up the dog like she's a baby. What's up, old girly? he said. And the dog's in heaven, tongue hanging out, tail wagging, legs in the air at awkward angles. Dad, tell Justin how you got Daisy, said Olivia. Yeah, says Augie. The dad smiles and sits down in a chair with the dog still cradled in his arms. It's obvious he's told this story lots of times and that they all love to hear it. So I'm coming home from the subway one day, he says, and a homeless guy I've never seen in this neighborhood before is pushing this floppy mutt in a stroller. And he comes up to me and says, hey, mister, want to buy my dog? And without even thinking about it, I say, Sure, how much you want? And he says, 10 bucks. And so I give him the 20 I have in my wallet and he hands me the dog. Justin, I'm telling you, you have never smelled anything so bad in your life. She stank so much, I can't even tell you. So I took her right from there to the vet down the street and then I brought her home. Didn't even call me first, by the way. The mom interjects as she cleans the floor to see that to see if I'm okay with him bringing home some homeless guy's dog. The dog actually looks over at the mom when she says this, like she understands everything everyone is saying about her. She's a happy dog, like she knows she lucked out that day finding this family. I kind of know how she feels. I like Olivia's family. They laugh a lot. My family's not like this at all. My mom and dad got divorced when I was four, and they pretty much hate each other. I grew up spending half of every week in my dad's apartment in Chelsea and the other half in my mom's place in Brooklyn Heights. I have a half-brother who's five years older than me and barely knows I exist. For as long as I can remember, I felt like my parents could hardly wait for me to be old enough to take care of myself. You can go to the store by yourself. Here's the key to the apartment. It's funny how there's a word like overprotective to describe some parents, but no word that means the opposite. What word do you use to describe parents who don't protect enough? 
underprotective, neglectful, self-involved, lame, all of the above. Olivia's family tell each other, I love you all the time. I can't remember the last time anyone in my family said that to me. By the time I go home, my ticks have all stopped. Chapter 76, Our Town. We're doing the play Our Town for the spring show this year. Olivia dares me to try out for the lead role of the stage manager and to somehow get it. Total fluke. Never got any lead roles in anything before. I tell Olivia she brings me good luck. Unfortunately, she doesn't get the female lead, Emily Gibbs. The pink-haired girl named Miranda gets it. Olivia gets a bit part and is also the Emily understudy. I'm actually more disappointed than Olivia is. She almost seems relieved. I don't love people staring at me, she says, which is sort of strange coming from such a pretty girl. A part of me thinks maybe she blew her audition on purpose. The spring show is at the end of April. It's mid-March now, so that's less than six weeks to memorize my part, plus rehearsal time, plus practicing with my band, plus finals, plus spending time with Olivia. It's going to be a rough six weeks, for sure. that's for sure. Mr. Davenport, the drama teacher, is already manic about the whole thing. will drive us crazy by the time it's over, no doubt. I heard through the grapevine that he had been planning on doing The Elephant Man, but changed it to Our Town at the last minute. And that change took a week off of our rehearsal schedule. Not looking forward to the craziness of the next month and a half. Chapter 77, Ladybug. Olivia and I are sitting on her front stoop. She's helping me with my lines. It's a warm March evening, almost like summer. The sky is still a bright cyan, but, with lo- but the sun is low and the sidewalks are streaked with long shadows. I'm reciting. Yes, the sun's come up over a thousand times. Summer and winters have cracked the mountains a little bit more and the rains have brought down some of the dirt. Some babies that weren't even born before have begun talking regular sentences already. And a number of people who thought that they were right, right young and spry, have noticed that they can't bound up a flight of stairs like they used to without their hearts a-fluttering a little. I shake my head. I can't remember the rest. All that can happen in a thousand days, Olivia props me, reading from the script. Right, 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 I say, shaking my head. I sigh. I'm wiped, Olivia. How the heck am I going to remember all of these lines? You will, she answers confidently. She reaches out and cups her hands over a ladybug that appears out of nowhere. See? A good luck sign, she says, and slowly lifting her top hand to reveal the ladybug walking on the palm of her other hand. Good luck or just the hot weather, I joke. Of course good luck, she answered, watching the ladybug crawl up her wrist. 
There should be a thing about making a wish on a ladybug. Augie and I used to do that with fireflies when we were, li- when we were little. She cups her hand over the ladybug again. Come on, make a wish. Close your eyes. I dutifully close my eyes. A long second passes, and then I open them. Did you make a wish? She asks. Yep. She smiles, uncups her hands, and the ladybug, as if on cue, spreads its wings and flits away. Don't you want to know what I wished for? I ask, kissing her. No, she says, she answers shyly, looking up at the sky, which at this very moment is the exact color of her eyes. I made a wish too, she said mysteriously. But she has so many things that she could wish for. I have no idea what she's thinking. Chapter 78, The Bus Stop. Olivia's mom, Augie, Jack, and Daisy come down the stoop just as I'm saying goodbye to Olivia. Slightly awkward, since we are in the middle of a nice long kiss. Hey guys, said the mom, pretending not to see anything, but the two boys are giggling. Hi, Mrs. Pullman. Please, call me Isabel Justin, she says again. It's like the third time she's told me this, so I really need to start calling her this. I'm heading home, I say, as if to explain. Oh, are you heading to the subway? She says, following the dog with a newspaper. Can you walk Jack to the bus stop? No problem. That okay with you, Jack? The mom asks, and he shrugs. Justin, can you stay with him until the bus comes? Of course. We all say our goodbyes. Olivia winks at me. You don't have to stay with me, says Jack, as we're walking up the block. I take the bus by myself all the time. Augie's mom is just way too overprotective. He's got a low, gravelly voice, like a little tough guy. He kind of looks like one of those little rascal kids in old black and white movies. Like he he should be wearing a newsboy cap and knickers. We get to the bus stop, and the schedule says that the bus will be there in eight minutes. I'll wait with you, I tell him. Up to you, he shrugs. Can I borrow a dollar? I want some gum. I fish a dollar out of my pocket and watch him cross the street to the grocery store on the corner. He seems too small to be walking around by himself somehow. Then I think how I was that young when I was taking the subway by myself way too young. I'm going to be an overprotective dad someday. I know it. My kids are going to know that I care. I'm waiting there a minute or two when I notice three kids walking up the block from the other direction. They walk right past the grocery store, but one of them looks inside and nudges the other two, and then they all back up and look inside. I can tell that they're up to no good, all elbowing each other, laughing. One of them is Jack's height, but the other two look much bigger, more like teens. They hide behind the fruit stand in the front of the store, and when Jack walks out, they trail behind him, making loud throw-up noises. Jack casually turns around at the corner to see who they are, and 
They run away, high-fiving each other and laughing. Little jerks. Jack crosses the street like nothing happened and stands next to me at the bus stop, blowing a bubble. Bren's ears, I finally say. Ha ha, he says. He's trying to smile, but I can see that he's upset. Just some jerks from my school, he said. A kid named Julian and his two gorillas, Henry and Miles. Do they bother you like that a lot? No, they've never done that before. They'd never do that in school or they'd get kicked out. Julian lives two blocks from here, so I guess it was just bad luck running into them. No, okay, I nod. It's not a big deal, he assures me. We both automatically look down Amesford Avenue Avenue, to see if the bus was coming. We're sort of in a war, he says after a minute, as if that explains everything. Then he pulls out this crumpled piece of loose leaf paper from his jeans pocket and gives it to me. I unfold it, and it's a list of names in three columns. He's turned the whole grade against me says Jack. Not the whole grade, I point out, looking down at the list. He leaves or he leaves me notes in my locker that say stuff like, everybody hates you. You should tell your teacher about that. Jack looks at me like I'm an idiot and shakes his head. Anyway, you have all these neutrals, I say, pointing to the list. If you get them on your side, things will even up a bit. Yeah, well, that's not really going to happen, he said, sarcastically. Well, why not? He shoots me another look like I am absolutely the stupidest guy he's ever talked to in the world. What? I say. He shakes his head like I'm hopeless. Let's just say, he says, I'm friends with someone who isn't exactly the most popular kid in the school. And then it hits me, what he's not coming out and saying. August. This is all about his being friends with August. And he doesn't want to tell me because I'm the sister's boyfriend. Yeah, of course. Makes sense. We see the bus coming down Amesford Avenue. Well, just hang in there, I tell him, handing him back the paper. Middle school is about as bad as it gets. And then it gets better. Everything will work out. He shrugs and shoves the list back into his pocket. We wave goodbye when he gets on the bus and I watch it pull away. When I get to the subway station two blocks away, I see the same three kids hanging out in front of the bagel place next door. They're still laughing and yuck-yucking each other like they were some kind of gang bangers, little rich boys in expensive skinny jeans acting tough. Don't know what possesses me, but I take my glasses off, put them in my pocket, and tuck my fiddle case under my arm so the pointy side is facing up. I walk over to them, my face scrunched up, mean-looking. They look at me, laughs dying on their lips when they see me, ice cream cones at odd angles. Yo, listen up. Don't mess with Jack, I say real slowly gritting my teeth, my voice all Clint Eastwood tough guy. 
Mess with him again and you will be very, very sorry. And then I tap my fiddle case for effect. Got it? They nod in unison, ice cream dripping onto their hands. Good. I nod mysteriously and then sprint down the subway two steps at a time.